We are back, speaking with Greg Bell, the proprietor of Radiospirits.com and the host of When Radio Was, heard on Sirius XM and many terrestrial stations in North America. Greg, I was listening last night, preparatory to our, our talk today, and there was well, a... Well, I uh, thank you for listening, Doug. <laughs> yes, it was great. Gunsmoke with John Daner as the heavy, followed by him as Paladin, <laughs> Have Gun, Will Travel. He nails right. it both times. He's the good guy, he's the bad guy, he's great. Absolutely. But in listening to this, um, what struck me is Matt Dillon's walking out on the planes with, with Chester. They're out there. They kind of go to silence, and all you hear is the wind blowing, and the sound effect of the wind blowing adds so much to the drama. And you'll notice when you pay close attention, if you know the shows as well as I believe you do, you'll notice that things like the wind blowing, things like the crickets, they'll actually establish the scene, and then quite often will just fade away. Yeah. They, they set the stage for you. So And, and again, I, I look back at people who do a modern attempt uh, at, at a radio play, and they'll think, oh, Jesus, nighttime, we got to make sure the crickets throughout. <laughs> but you'll find that, that the audience will do it for you. So you basically just do a little bit of it, and then as it fades out, you now know it's night, and you're not, you hear the crickets even when they're not there. You hear the wind blow even when it's not there. Uh, and that's just fascinating to me. Well, you're you're a Hollywood uh, movie guy. Let, let's 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 talk a little about how some of the, the really the biggest stars in Hollywood took their their turn on radio, as you mentioned. I love Joel McRae, Tales of the Texas Rangers, very good show. And then Jimmy Stewart. I was stunned to hear a show called The Six Shooter, where Jimmy Stewart comes on board, and they're they're both just turning out driveway moments. You know, you're listening, you're home, you're in your driveway, but you're not getting out of the car until they come to the conclusion. And the genius of, in the case of Jimmy Stewart, the genius of Frank Burt, I think, was the main creator of the Six Shooter. Uh, so I'll give him credit for that, to know that Jimmy Stewart is Jimmy Stewart. So he has his delivery. He has his pauses. He has his folksy way he spoke. And so you want to write around that. You don't want to try to turn him into something that he's not. And so the Brit Ponsett character, the six-shooter, is tailored perfectly for Jimmy and the way Jimmy would perform stuff. You talk about, and Joel McRae was fine, was fine too, on Texas Rangers, we also have people that don't work as well. Um, one of the one of the most popular series back in, uh, in in the golden age of radio was was Lux Radio Theater. It was an hour long radio series that ran for years and years and years, mostly on CBS. And it took the motion pictures of the day, sometimes like even before the movie came out, or certainly around the same time, and they would do an hour long version of that movie. And the first thing they would do is try to get the the main actors in to play the roles. Uh, I recently to put something together with Clark Gable for his birthday, and instead of him in It Happened One Night, which he starred in and won an Oscar for, I have him in A Farewell to Arms, which huh. starred Gary Cooper and Helen Hayes initially, huh. uh, in the Ernest Hemingway story. So it it's a dynamic, and I one of my favorite interviews I ever had was a few years ago, it's now been about five or six years ago, but with Robert Osborne of Turner Classic Movies. Just a wonderful, wonderful man and mm-hmm. very knowledgeable. He had a great visit. And he explained to me that he grew up in Washington State and that his first experience with Hollywood, you know, in a more personal way, because he could go to the movie theaters, but Lux Radio would have the stars and they would be live. And he'd be listening in the small town in Washington to these live stars. And he loved when, he loved even more when the actor wasn't available and he was replaced. So in the case of Gary Cooper, you had Clark Gable. Well, Clark Gable didn't get the role, uh, a farewell to arms, but 
he got to play it on Lux Radio Theater. And I, I love that dynamic, And but it also brings up, because I mentioned Gary Cooper, I have him in some things where he's incredibly wooden and he sounds totally out of place. John Wayne was somebody who also did some radio, just radio versions of his, of his movies. I shudder at the thought, Greg. Was he any good? And, no, I mean mostly no. I mean, if if you again, it's all up to the talent of the producers and the writers and the other actors. Uh-huh. But but I they're, they're the first two that come to mind when I say, yeah, it didn't really work. And and so that that's why I marvel at the people like um, Jimmy Stewart and Joel McRae, who we already mentioned, uh, others who were uh, Betty Davis was great on radio, Vincent Price was great on radio, people that were uh, traditionally just film actors. Some of them, some of them were naturals. Jim James Cagney was very good on radio. Peter Lorre, I don't know if you've ever heard the Peter Lorre stuff that I play. He started in a series called Mystery in the Air in the mid-40s. And uh, Harry Morgan, who went on to play Colonel Sherman Potter on MASH, and of mm-hmm. course was uh, Joe Friday's partner in the 60s, Dragnet, and on and on. Harry Morgan, great actor. He, uh, he was the voice of Mystery, so he was the narrator, the host. Um, still, uh, uh, you know, this is still pretty new in the business. But Peter Laurie just would chew the scenery, oh, wow. uh, but in a hilarious way. Yeah, he would get so worked up, and he would—I mean, hilarious and scary at the same time, mm-hmm. which is what he was great at. So, uh, wow. so yeah, these these Hollywood people—they mostly did this. Sure, some had their own series, and there was some money to be made, but it was mostly just like what you see today when you go on the local late night talk shows, or I mean, not the local, the national talk shows, or any talk show. You're promoting your movie. So a lot of these were to promote a movie. Judy Garland came back from Meet Me in St. Louis and did it four years after the movie came out. Well, of course, she had another movie ready to come out. So she could do Meet Me in St. Louis for Lux Radio Theater and say, oh, by the way, I'm going to be in the good old summertime or something like that. Uh, coming up next. You know, Greg, since you mentioned Peter Laurie being amusing, I just have to throw out Bill Conrad <laughs> is great as Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke, but a lot of people know him best as the narrator on Rocky and Bullwinkle, when he's very good at that, too. Bless you, Doug, for having that one. Because that's, that's uh, he was also the narrator on The Fugitive, and he did, he did more dramatic ones, but I, too, just love him in Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, there's some outtakes that bounce around. I, I do this annual cruise with my fans every year, and I try to find all these fun outtakes and stuff, and I had one that was just, because Paul Fries, who was the voice of Boris Madoff and so many other things, he was also a big radio guy. And I'll play those, and the funniest part about William Conrad is that that deep, booming voice of his could go really high sometimes. And in the Rocky and Bullwinkle version, the way he did that delivery was a higher pitch and was more fun. And and I agree. It's it's always nice to see somebody that you think is, uh, you know, dramatic. There's a series that I also play called Suspense. And something they love to do periodically is take a comedy star and put them in a dramatic play. And some of those are great. I mean, Jack Benny did four or five of them, and Red Skelton's went in one, and, and uh, Bob Hope did, did one, Lucille Ball. And so it's really fun to have them play against type. You know? I remember you, you played one, it was the, I, the the Jordans, I guess, Fibber Biggie and Molly were in a, in a serious, dramatic, uh, tension-filled uh, drama. that was It was great. They did great. One of the best, Backseat Driver. Yeah. Uh, and it is. It's one of the best ones. And and, uh, and they were even identified as Fibber McGee and Molly in the credits. Because <laughs> that's what they were known as, yeah. Jim and Murray and Jordan. But, yeah. But uh, uh, they went by their character names. Uh, and that was that was fun. That was fun to see that uh, you know, they could handle a wide range of things. And a lot of the actors that I play are just as good at comedy as they were at drama. 
and they were interchangeable. They were going back and forth all the time. We're speaking with Greg Bell, radio host extraordinaire, who, who is, is the most knowledgeable person we know about old-time radio. Uh, Greg, I, I, I want to plug one show that you sometimes uh, go to that I just find especially engaging, Sherlock Holmes, featuring Sir John Gielgud as Holmes and Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson. Those, those two really do justice to Arthur Conan Doyle. That's a lot of star power, isn't it? So, yeah. And then sometimes in those episodes, those were BBC series in the mid-50s, and when Professor Moriarty would show up, he would often be voiced by Orson Welles. So that's some that's some that's some <laughs> triple yeah. star power there. Yeah, uh, I don't think or I think Orson was ever knighted though because he wasn't British. <laughs> but, uh, otherwise, we'll call him Sir Orson to, right. uh, to tie it in. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, Sherlock is one of those things. I don't know. How, I mean, I'm sure you know the background, but I mean, the, the stuff was all public domain, mm-hmm. and so that's why we see every possible version of Sherlock, good and bad, uh, out there. And so radio was great for that because from the very beginning. From uh, 1930, I think, was the first Sherlock on radio, and that was William Gillette, who was famous for doing it on stage. And all the way up until modern day, uh, people are still doing that that series, and and some of them are just our standout. I mean, I do play Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, the most famous tandem. They had a radio show at the same time they were in films. Uh, But I agree. I love uh, Gilbert and and Richardson in the role. The, the British version, I think, were using the actual stories of Conan Doyle, whereas uh, uh, Basil Rathbone, etc. They were, I think, they were they were written later, and they they just they just weren't the same. And uh, so much depends on scripts, uh, you know. I mean, it's like uh, uh, I was in the Museum of uh, TV and Radio a couple years back, and there was a couple of writing types hanging around there, listening to some some of the old material there. And I, I have a sneaking feeling that old material got recycled into new material. <laughs> Well, they used to do it back then too. You know, that was it. I, because I have a channel that's twenty four seven radio classics. Uh, you know, on Sirius XM is is a twenty four seven channel. So the there's a there's obviously stuff's going to come back around. There's stuff that we only have so much stuff to work with, uh, and people will notice sometimes that the same script was reused even across series. I'll be listening to a Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar with Bob Bailey, and then later I'll play a Jeff Regan investigator with Jack Webb, and they'll be like, that's the same story. Really? And it was a few years apart, but it's the same story, but it's two different series, sometimes two different networks. Um, and I said, well, first you have to understand that there were no DVRs, there were no TiVos, there was no, uh, we weren't, people weren't saving the audio for later playback in most cases. At home, you listen to it, and then you actually wanted to hear if there was an annual show, the annual Christmas show for a series, you were looking forward to it coming back because that's your only chance to hear it a second time. In the case of the scripts, it was the same scenario. The odds of you having heard that Jeff Regan in 1948 <laughs> on NBC uh-huh. and then hear the same the Johnny Dollar in 1956 on CBS wasn't very wasn't very high. And so uh, I believe the one example was E. Jack Newman, the writer E. Jack Newman just retooled it and used it again uh, and people will avoid it but that's only in hindsight it's only when you have a channel like mine where people listen for long hours and and there's so many hours to fill that they start to notice that and I embrace that I like to show that I'll put them back to back sometimes I'll be like this is the exact same script from two totally different series because that's the way it was done wow you mentioned some shows that you were quite unfamiliar with I think I'd heard 
the phrase "Taint Easy McGee," and I'd heard about Fibber McGee's closet, but I never really heard the show till I till I turned turned you in, and also uh, Lum and Abner, something I'd never heard of. But you know, I was I was listening to him like last week, and I was laughing out loud. There's some pretty funny stuff on those shows. Yeah, and it's funny because there are phrases and sayings that we that have tr- trickled all the way down to even the kids of today that they have no idea where those sayings came from. And you're fi- you'll find invariably that some of them came from these shows. Uh, as you said, like the, the lines from Heavenly Days, Take Funny McGee, the stuff from uh, Jokes About the Closet, uh, the Bickersons uh, yeah. the series, and, and it's a term, uh, What a Revolting Development, which was from the life of Riley, uh, and on and on. There were these sayings that uh, we don't even know why we know them, but we know them. I mean, as a boy, everybody knew who knows what evil lurks in the hearts Absolutely. of men? And, 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 we, and yet, you know, it's it's we didn't really ever never heard the shadow. I, I, a show, by the way, I was very I, people. I should point out a lot of folks listening today have probably never really heard radio. I hope a lot of them are going to go out and listen after after this after hearing us today. But they shouldn't necessarily be discouraged if they don't care for a show. When I first heard The Shadow, I was so let down because the scripts were so silly. I mean, it was a great idea, and even with Orson Welles, sometimes as The Shadow. Eh, I don't know. For me, it just kind of fell flat. Well, you know one that, that, that also ties into Orson that I hear the exact same thing from? Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to play it that many times over the, the 18 years or so that I've been doing the channel, just because legal rights and silliness. But the War of the Worlds broadcast, it is the most famous single individual classic radio show yes. in history. Yes. 1938, Orson Welles scares the bejesus out of everybody because... They think the Martians are invading. And not to take away from it, it's very well done. But I had that same reaction when I first really listened to it. And now this is when I'm listening to it with new ears. I'm listening to it after having listened to all these other shows, uh, having hosted and being involved in it. And I was like, wow, it's not really as great as I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you, you're... you're um, you anticipate, you know, you get you get your hopes up and you're so sure that it's going to change the world. And again, it was very well done, but we also, looking back, when we have instantaneous news like we do now and have had for a while, to think that people could be fooled uh, into believing such a thing. But you just have to, just like I tell everybody, people who complain about some things that I do on the channel show-wise, oh, that's not funny today, or that's not, that doesn't make any sense, or that, that that's not plausible. I have to remind them that you have to look exactly when these aired. Right. You have to take into account the history around them. So if you're looking at October 30th, 1938, you've got the war building yeah. in Europe. You have you have only one way to get the news immediately, and that's radio. You know, you had to wait for the newspaper. You might have had an evening and a morning uh, edition, but you still had to wait. So the ability to, and of course, you know, our knowledge of space was not what it was right. yet. We had recently, they had seen um, canals on Mars at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was a belief that maybe the, the, there was some man-made things on Mars that could be seen from, from, from Earth. And so therefore, all of that played in. And then the best part about it is Orson was new. Miss, uh, Mercury Theater on the Air was new then. Right. And most people listened to the Chase and Sanborn Hour with Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. That was the big show that night. 
So a big reason why people fell for the War of the Worlds is because a lot of them listened to the beginning of Edgar and Charlie because that was the most popular show. Right. And when the show went to, uh, I believe, Nelson Eddy stepped up to sing a song. There was something <laughs> where there was a transition uh-huh. where enough people went, hey, let's go see what's going on with that Orson guy that was in The Shadow. He's got a new show over uh-huh. on CBS. And they dialed in and they missed all the intro and the disclaimers about it being a drama. And it was presented as a news, as breaking news, and they fell for it. Yeah, my, yeah. my understanding is that they, they took the, uh, the, the the famous, by that point, totally famous uh, description of the Hindenburg blowing up in, in New Jersey, and they, they imitated that, describing the Martian craft, and, and everybody everybody bought it. Yeah, well, I, I think that we also have built it up over time, too, with the, uh, I mean, Orson himself said, look, it wasn't the panic that everyone, <laughs> right. you know, had. But, but again, it only took a little to, uh, to make for good, uh, you know, for good... Entertaining uh, storytelling. You know, you you talked mentioned I think suspense or one of those a, a moment ago. Yeah, there's quite a few of these suspense X minus one, etc. Uh, they're not as well known as TV's Twilight Zone, but a lot of them were were very imaginative with with Ray Bradbury and write, writers like that uh, putting the scripts together. Uh, real milestone stuff. Yeah, and again, what we said earlier when we were talking about Gunsmoke and stuff, and that is. Think about 1950s, early 50s is when these science fiction series, like you mentioned, X, uh, Dimension X and X Minus One, the two most famous uh, radio sci-fi series. Uh, when they first originated, think about the level of special effects in early television and movies. The limitations were, I mean, you could see the wires, for goodness sakes. There was, there was <laughs> right. no way to make it look realistic, no matter how hard they tried. Well... That's not a problem in radio. Dimension X could have the most fantastic science fiction story, and you could see the planets, you could see the rocket ship. Everything was, again, in your own head, in your own imagination. And so they weren't limited by, by the... Because even in the day, I mean, I understand people didn't think that effects were as cheesy on, in, you know, in a movie like, like we do today, right. saw a 1950s film. Uh, but... That's not to say they were, they weren't still recognizing that it was obviously a model or obviously just the things you couldn't do. Um, if you remember the Stanley Kubrick 2001 Space Odyssey from the 60s, mm-hmm. the complaint that modern film students get when they watch that is it's so slow. Well, bear in mind, he was doing stuff with special effects and, and visuals that had never been, yes. been done before. And you would have you right. lost half your audience if you went any faster. Right. People were stunned, yeah. Absolutely. And so that, to me, if you take that back to these classic radio science fiction, they could do limitless stuff because they were using sound only and, and the rest, again, was in your own head. Well, radio kind of faded in, in the 60s, a victim of television, but it, it, it never did go away completely. You mentioned some of those series in the 70s and 80s with E.G. Marshall, etc. Um, is there someone out there producing radio in the 21st century that catches your ear? Well, we actually play, on the Satellite Radio Channel, we play some stuff from Jim French Productions, who was, uh, was a longtime Seattle-based uh, producer. Uh, Jim passed away a couple of years ago, but he still he had a huge... His primary thing, he did a version of Sherlock Holmes, the Further Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, and he also did The Adventures of Harry Nile, which was a 1940s detective. Yeah. But he actually made those in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even up to modern day. Uh, I believe that there's even some folks doing them now again 
even though, as I said, Jim has passed away. Uh, and they, they are definitely one of the best out there when it comes to doing modern radio plays. But really the future of what I play is today's podcast. Everybody has a podcast, right, Doug? Yeah, <laughs> we do. <laughs> and that's, and that's, to me, yeah. the a natural extension of what these classic shows, and it's helped boost my audience and my channel because it's, it's something that uh, everyone wants to look at the roots. They want to see how things were done. And a, a talk show of, a, a talk show podcast is wonderful, and, and that's sort of the bread and butter. But what you're seeing more and more is you are seeing people actually do narrative stories uh, and do more elaborate pieces as they go. And, and I think the sky's the limit on that stuff. Uh, although I think it goes back to what you and I said early, earlier, and that was the acting has to be, uh, has to be there. <laughs> and the writing has to be there. And those are things that, uh, that aren't easily imitated. Yes. Uh, I think there's all these little, like we had with, when I grew up, we had garage bands or whatever. I think there's these, all these garage uh, radio theater people that are, uh, that are still doing a lot of stuff out there. And, and it's easy to deliver it now. I mean, obviously, between uh, all the different places you can do it online, you can immediately get stuff to people, uh, which, which, which is great. Yeah, we've been, we've been partnered with KDVS in Davis for the last 18 years, and I would note that they've been producing original uh, material radio dramas on a weekly basis for years, and I really really take my hat off to them for doing that. Hey, yeah, I, I love that stuff, and, and we uh, people will send me stuff on occasion. Uh, I've, I've witnessed a few of them. I went up to uh, Lucille Ball's 100th birthday. She's from originally from Jamestown, New York, in western New York, near Buffalo. And I went up there for the, her 100th anniversary, and Greg Oppenheimer, who is the son of Jeff Oppenheimer, who created and was the head writer for I Love Lucy and also the radio version, which is called My Favorite Husband. Well, Greg actually did a live stage play. It was like the untold story of, the, of Lucy. And it was fascinating to see, uh, and he's got the, you know, he's obviously got the family connection too, so he knows his stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was fun to see anytime people are recreating that. Uh, I mentioned that I do these annual cruises with my fans. When I do those, uh, the, the main thing we do is we flip up some scripts. We let people write their own stuff, almost like a Mad Lib, where you fill in and make it what you want, and you get up there and perform. And the sound effects are all manual. You've got uh -huh. the little coconuts. You've got the, uh, <laughs> you take the cornstarch in the box and you squeeze it. It sounds like you're walking through snow. Uh -huh. So there's all these wonderful sound effects that uh, you can do manually. Uh, and we do all that, and uh, people learn to perform with just their voice. Do any of those ever get rebroadcast later? I mean, they turn out so well. Uh, my stuff, like the crew stuff. Yeah, yeah. We post. I have a. I have a channel. I have a YouTube channel uh, that that some of that stuff is up on, and and uh, you know we share it amongst the folks that do that. It's it's uh, the easy website to remember the for the crew stuff. It's called cruisingwithgregbell.com. And if you go there, you'll see we we posted videos from some of the previous performances and stuff. And, and again, some people are more amateurs than others, but uh, it's all in good fun. I'm very optimistic, Greg. A lot of people are going to want to go and learn more about what we've been discussing for the past uh, uh, 40 minutes or so. You, you have your, you got your hands in a lot of uh, uh, pies here on, on websites. Can you go through some of these that people are going to want to seek out for more information? Yeah, really the best way to start uh, anything is just to go to my site, which is called gregbellmedia.com. 
gregbellmedia.com will then show you. Uh, I'd love to have gregbell.com, but there's a car dealership in Michigan, and I just didn't, just don't have the money to buy it away from them. Uh, that Greg Bell, I wish him the best. Uh, but if you go to, again, gregbellmedia.com, then that's kind of my main landing page, and that'll do everything from, it'll direct you towards the Win Radio Was show, which, as you said, is on a couple hundred affiliates across the uh, U.S. and Canada. Uh, the SiriusXM channel, which is 148, uh, it, it, it gives details and that tells us what we're playing all the time, and then it's, there's links to all the other things we do because that's how the 21st century works, for goodness sake. Well, as we're wrapping up, Greg, I do have to ask you, what shows are your personal favorites? Oh, uh, you know that. Who's my favorite kid, right? That's, <laughs> there's, a no, there's no win on that. Uh, you know, I think about this. I always have to break it up because I... Because the, the comedies, you know, I break it between comedies and dramas. Yeah. Uh, the comedies that just never miss for me are Jack Benny program. He was so far ahead of his time. Uh, and uh, Phil Harris and Alice Faye, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Phil was Jack's longtime band leader. So uh, there's overlap there. Uh, those are two that I think that just always work and they're great. Um, you mentioned Pippa McGee and Molly. The chemistry was great. So that's another one that, that I'm a fan of. For the dramas, uh, we talked about yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with Bob Bailey, who had one of the greatest voices in the business, uh, and so that's certainly up there. Uh, I love Gunsmoke. I do. I think I think it's it transcended westerns, and and to me that's 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 key for that one. Uh, I love Gerald Moore, who did the foi- um, he was Philip Marlowe on radio. Mm-hmm. He's another guy that just I just thought captured it so well. But if I have to pick one for the dramas, I usually pick. Things like suspense or escape. Okay. And the reason I do is because they were different every week. So you might have a thriller episode, that Sorry, Wrong Number with Agnes Moorhead, Lucille Fletcher, but the next week you might have Plan X with Jack Benny playing a Martian. Uh, and so to me, I just love those series because they just, I guess I just love having that much variety. And one little nugget, I'll leave you with one. Uh, if, if you find, we can find it on my channel, of course, but if you can find it elsewhere as well. It's called Pat Novak for Hire. Mm-hmm. Jack Webb, before he created Dragnet, did a lot of radio shows. And Pat Novak was a show that he did initially out of San Francisco, then out of L.A. Uh, and it is so full of wonderful similes and metaphors <laughs> that the stuff that whenever you see somebody parody the <laughs> hard-boiled detective, yes. They nailed it, and it is so. I wish I could just top of my head throw a bunch of the uh, the lines right. out because it's just it's so wonderful. Um, as rough as a bag of fingernails is one that always sticks in my head. <laughs> she offered me a cold towel and a hot look, and on and on and on. So Pat Novak for hire with Jack Webb is uh, is a wonderful guilty pleasure. Well, I hope that uh, after listening to all of this, a lot of folks are going to turn into your. Radio Classics on Sirius XM or, or those websites. And, and mention them again, would you? I mean, I think people need to find them. Sure. The, the, uh, the radio channel for satellite radio listeners is channel 148. It's called Radio Classics. Uh, when Radio Was, you can go to whenradiowas.com. That's easy to remember. That's for the AM, FM show that plays across the country like an hour at a time, sometimes multiple nights a week. Uh, and then finally, just to learn more about me and all that stuff, kind of the first one-stop shop, is my website, which is Greg Bell, just like it sounds, G-R-E-G-B-E-L-L, media.com. 
Greg, we thank you for speaking with us. Before you go, I do want to ask if the, uh, there's anyone out there, a guest you'd steer us to. I know I did meet Peggy Weber at some of the, one of these uh, cart events a while back, and, and I heard you later talking about how she was Jack, Jack, Joe Friday's mom on an episode of Dragnet. Yeah, in her tw- all in her 20s. Yes. Yeah, for, for many episodes. Uh, if Peggy, yeah, we just have to kind of check. Everyone's kind of up there in age. Um, I haven't talked to Peggy in person for a while, but she's certainly somebody that if she's um, um, if she wants to visit, she, she's a great uh, resource. You added a lot of people on your list uh, when I looked. I mean, Norman Corwin, one of my favorite interviews ever. Yeah. Uh, and I saw that you were able to visit with Norman, obviously. Um, not around anymore, though. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can feel free to reach back and pick my brain a little bit more about some people, um, and I can point you to them if they're, uh, if they're still out and about. All right. I will take you up on that. <laughs> Greg Bell, thanks Thanks so much. You bet. My pleasure. That about does it for today's program. We would urge you to check out that aforementioned uh, War of the Worlds broadcast by Orson Welles, or at least our review of the events that surrounded that celebrated broadcast back in 1938. That's available on our website, radioparallax.com. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. My name, Joe Friday.